to explore the latest developments in science and technology with Wiradjuri Woman and science and technology editor Ray Johnston. Welcome to Night TV Radio, Ray. Thank you very much for having me. Our first story takes us uh, to Rottnester Island, but before we delve into this story, I'd like to give a bit of a background of this island to our listeners. Well, Rottnester Island is an island with a rich history of coastal scenes and a wildlife population that is unique to the area. Yet, in the latest news, we learned that uh, marine heat waves are decimating sea urchins and uh, mollusks. It's quite saddening to learn that... Uh, these unique species with their unique characteristics are under threat. Yeah, absolutely. This is Curtin University researchers have been looking into this and they believe it's rising sea temperatures that are to blame for the plummeting number of invertebrates like mollusks and sea urchins at Rottnest Island, which is off the coast of Western Australia. And some species have declined there by up to 90% between 2007 and 2021, which is a huge number. And since 1982, the researchers have monitored the biodiversity of marine mollusks and echinoderms, they're called, that's sea snails and clams and starfish and sea urchins on the rocky reefs at Rottnest. And despite there being sanctuary zones with the highest level of protection from human activities, a number of marine heat waves in recent years have caused abnormally high ocean temperatures that have impacted the area's marine plant and animal populations. So this research shows that even with that high degree of protection from human activities, these areas are not immune to the effects of global climate change. And uh, another one, our next one is uh, one that's uh, at the same time alarming and encouraging in uh, kind of a way. Well, every year during bushfire season, hundreds of thousands of native animals are killed, including koalas. But research shows that if there was respect for traditional knowledge and uh, cultural burning was actually practiced, we'd um, lose less koalas and uh, we'd actually protect them and uh, help them continue to thrive. Absolutely. So there's been research into koala numbers before and after cultural burns. Uh, Actually, on the world's second largest sand island, they've done it. And it has fueled a push to merge Aboriginal knowledge with more cutting edge science to mitigate the dangers of bushfires across the continent. So it was University of the Sunshine Coast researchers that worked with Kwandamooka land custodians and they collaborated for two years on this project and it's believed to be the first study of Aboriginal cultural burning to mitigate the risk of wildfires on koalas. And that's something that is increasingly important as uncontrolled wildfires become more frequent and more severe with climate change. So the university team, they counted and monitored koalas using drones fitted with thermal cameras and they also collected koala scats from the ground and they analysed their hormone levels to indicate how stressed the koala was. And look, the cultural burns, they're cooler and they're lower and they're slower than the hot fires that you'll find during a big raging uncontrolled bushfire. So you get better coordination and control and you can encourage the regeneration of suitable native plants in the areas. So burns, they also control species like banksias and wattle, 
to reduce the risk of fire reaching the canopy up where the koalas live. So the results of the study, they showed no negative impacts on the stress levels or the numbers of koalas after these cultural burns. The first one was in July 2021, and that went across 130 hectares. Instead, the study showed the strength of koala numbers in that area and the effectiveness of cultural burning in reducing fuel load from vegetation while keeping that tree canopy intact. So it keeps the koalas safe from injury and distress, which just goes to show cultural burning is something that we should be rolling out, encouraging, supervising and teaching across the entire continent. Yeah, another vindication of Aboriginal traditional knowledge. Uh, well, scientists should be looking into this knowledge and learn how fast custodians have been looking after country for thousands of years. Absolutely. And another one of these high-tech things I can get my mind around, 3D bioprinting. So they insert a tiny robot that goes into the human body and starts doing all sorts of things, fixing and patching things around. How does it work? It sounds like uh, out of this world to me. It's really exciting, Bertrand. It's very much in this world. So it's engineers from University of New South Wales, Sydney, we have to help for this one. They have made a miniature, flexible, soft robotic arm that can 3D print directly onto organs inside a person's body. And they use a material that's called bio-ink that makes these natural tissue-like structures. So they can print organs, basically. This means we now have a tiny flexible 3D bioprinter that can go in your body like an endoscope and directly print layers onto the surface of your internal organs and tissues. And the printing head itself, it's made from these soft artificial muscles that move in three directions. So it looks and works very similar to you know, those desktop 3D printers that you see printing plastic objects. But the printing nozzle, yeah, the printing nozzle, it can be programmed to print all different shapes or you can operate it manually. The surgeon can operate it with a controller, like a video game from the outside. And so far they've used it to make an artificial colon, as well as 3D printing a bunch of different materials with different shapes on the surface of a pig's kidney they've been testing it out on. And they say that this device would be really especially important in surgery to remove certain cancers. So the nozzle of the printing head it can also be used kind of like an electric scalpel to mark and then cut away lesions. And it can also spray water to clean any blood and excess tissue from the side. And they're looking at adding a camera to it. We're looking at about five to seven years before this technology is going to be used in the operating room. But making this arm and this nozzle is absolutely going to be the future of how surgery is performed. Wow, to me it sounds just like um, a construction work inside the body but using these little <laughs> micro things and send a machine to cut and drill and uh, patch together things. And wow. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But they should be, instead of just printing, you know, releasing these, uh, uh, you know, telling us how this works, they should also maybe send us some videos and 
give a more visual kind of um, explanation of how it works. I can visualize it, but it would be great to oh, have yeah. a short video oh, there, of how it works. Yeah, There are videos and, and pictures and things available of it as well. So, yeah, absolutely. There, there is All of that is out there. I should, I'll pop some up on my Instagram for you so that you can all see that it. That would be great. No, it's interesting. I'll check it out. And we stay in the realm of high tech. It is said that uh, thanks to new technology coming soon in our homes, we'll be able to have new, thinner, and also cheaper flat screens. That's right. And we use a lot of screens these days. So this is a scientist from the Australian National University and also the University of New South Wales in Canberra. And they have just created the technology behind the next generation of thinner higher resolution and more energy efficient screens and electronic devices. And they've done this by creating nanoparticles, so little tiny, tiny, tiny particles that they've called metasurfaces. They are 100 times thinner than liquid crystal cells. They have 10 times better resolution and they use half the amount of energy. And liquid crystal cells is what our current LCD and LED displays use. So the researchers say that they have absolutely paved the way to break a technology barrier. And they've pointed out that most you know, important things in flat screen displays are things like pixel size and resolution and weight and power consumption. And they have addressed each of these. So this new technology could lead to a huge reduction of energy consumption Excellent news, given the number of monitors and TV sets and screens that we are using every day now. They say that it is time for LCD and LED displays to be phased out in the same way that we did with the old CRT TVs, the the old cathode cathode ray tube TV. Yeah. So over the past 10 to 20 years, you know, they say that the capability of the displays that we've got today have reached its peak and it's unlikely to get any much better in the future. It's got too many limitations. So this new technology with their meta surfaces, that's going to be the future of all of our screens. Yeah, it sounds like those rollable screens or, yeah, that you can yeah. fold and... Uh, well, well, those even... rollable screens, they're still using those liquid crystal cells. So yeah. with this new technology, you could even get thinner rollable screens that use a lot less energy and look better. Wow. wow. Yeah, those are you can put on a wall just like a painting or a science fiction. I just can't wait. To... <laughs> but then science evolves at a very high pace. Things we thought could never happen in our lifetime, they just run the corner. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, we're, then we've just got to save all our money to be able to afford it. <laughs> yeah, and cheaper, that's so. Sounds like uh, good news to me. If it's cheaper and more effective and uh, more uh, actually versatile and, um, yeah, can't wait to see this happen. Absolutely. The newer technology is always slightly more expensive when it first comes out because they're making it in smaller amounts. And they also have to recover the costs that they've put into all the research and development. But by the time this technology has been used for two or three years, it will be far, far cheaper than anything that we currently have on the market. Then it trickles down to people like me who have no money to buy anything. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Well, Ray, thank you so much for bringing to us more entertaining, interesting, and very, very powerful stories uh, in uh, science and technology development. 
thanks so much for having me. Always good to chat.